Good morning, Stonebridge. Good to be here with you. Um, we're going to continue our sermon series through Genesis, but first I just want to thank everyone um, for your support and encouragement this week. It's been a hard week for all of us, um, but we really are praying for the best, like Ryan said, praying for the best for the Webbers uh, in the future and continue to pray for them. Um, and I'm confident God will continue to strengthen us uh, as we walk forward as a church. Now, as you've noticed in our, in our culture and just in our world right now, there's a lot of bad news out there, right? Well, someone else noticed that there's a lot of bad news too. And that was actor John Krasinski, if you're familiar with him. So he started on YouTube a show of sorts. Uh, he's got three episodes, I believe, now called SGN or Some Good News. Now, good news is actually not good news without bad news. Okay, the, the reason John Krasinski started this is because there's so much bad news going on. If you have a chance, watch it. It's, it's fun. It really is full of a lot of hope and a lot of good news going on. Um, and it's enjoyable, maybe even have, have a few tears over it. Um, but if you have a chance to do that, but think about it. Good news is not good news without the bad news. And so as you turn to Genesis 3, we're in Genesis 3 this week. Uh, I thought about calling this sermon SBN, some bad news. But then I started thinking about it more. And Genesis 3 is not just some bad news. It is the bad news. It's, it's the source of all the bad news going on around us right now. And the source of all bad news ever. But we're going to see in Genesis 3, this bad news, the bad news, actually helps us make some sense of our current bad news. And it also helps us see our desperate need for the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call this series the gospel according to Genesis because there is great news starting on page one and that goes throughout the Bible that points to Jesus. And so we're gonna see that even in Genesis chapter three. But let's get to the good news. Let's start with the, or sorry, let's get to the bad news. Let's start with the bad news. You know, bad news in movies and stories and books rarely starts with the bad news itself, okay? I haven't watched many movies where it's just like, bad news, okay? Usually, it starts with a backstory, and it, and it leads up to this bad news, to, to uh, the conflict going on. And so, in Genesis 3, we see the same thing. There is temptation going on. That's kind of the backstory leading up to the bad news. So, let's pick up there. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was the tree and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And we're going to stop right there in the, in the middle of the sentence before the sin. So here's, here's the lead up, right? Here is the temptation. Now, I was thinking about temptation and thinking about different strategies that the devil and our sinful flesh have. And, uh, and I, I learned about two different strategies for war. 
Okay, so if you're at home, kids, if you're at home, you, you want something to study, maybe do a, a report on this week, or, or parents, you want some ideas for your kids to do a report at home this week, you can, you can have them study these two strategies for war. Um, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention to history class very possible, not my favorite subject in the world. Um, but, but I ran into these for the first time. I had maybe heard about these books. But the first one was made popular by, let's see if I can get this right, um, Carl von Clausewitz. Carl von Clausewitz. It's kind of fun to say once you get it down. He was, he was a Prussian general in the 1800s and wrote a book called On War. And Clausewitz, I learned, uh, described warfare in a physical sense in which he presents an image of two wrestlers, each trying to impose his will upon the other. It's primarily focused on using physical strength to defeat armies. So it's like, it's like let's just bolster our offense as much, much as possible and just mow them down, okay? Let's get as strong and as powerful as possible. That's our strategy, okay? That's Karl von Clausewitz in On War. Now, the second strategy for war was made popular by Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu was a Chinese general in the 5th century BC, and he wrote a book called Art of War. Now, Sun Tzu, I learned, uh, on the other hand, describes warfare in a non-physical sense, in which a situation is allowed to mature, ultimately being won without even fighting a physical war. Sun Tzu's approach is primarily focused on attacking the enemy's strategy. So this approach is you're focusing on their strategy and then just deconstructing it, kind of fighting the war before it ever begins. And that is what we learn here in Genesis 3 and throughout scripture is, is how we can go after sin in our lives. We go after the enemy's strategy. We cut it off before it even gets to the sin. And so we're going to learn some things on, on how we can win this battle before it even begins, this battle with sin that we have in our lives. And we can recognize this temptation and cut it off before it starts. So let's look at this. We see the temptation from the devil. Here, here's the enemy's strategy. He says to Eve, literally he says, did God actually say? Verse one, look at that. Did God actually say? Now, I've always wondered, how do we know that this serpent is the devil? Okay, how do we know he's not just a random talking snake? Um, he's not because we see in Revelation 12, 9, the devil himself is referred to as the ancient serpent. What, more could it, what, what else could it be referring to than Genesis 3, the ancient serpent? So this is clearly the devil, and it's the same tactics we see the devil using throughout Scripture. So he says, did God actually say? He's putting seeds of doubt and questioning God's words and questioning God's intentions. Did God actually say that? And then he moves on and says to Eve, essentially in verse four and five, hey, God is holding out on you, Eve. God is withholding things from you, Eve. And what's fascinating is Eve already started to believe this. She, she was already changing what God said and she changed what God said three times in three verse three. And she does this first by focusing on what God Instead of focusing on what God has already provided freely to her, she focuses on that one prohibition, that one rule. Look at it. God says in two, chapter 2, 16, you may surely freely eat of every tree. See, God's focusing on his provision. Hey, look, I have all of this for you. 
And Eve just focuses on the prohibition. Three, verse three, Eve says, you shall not eat from this tree. God is holding out on me. She's starting to believe this before the devil even comes to her. And then, secondly, she changes what God says by adding to what he said. She adds to it to make him more restrictive in her mind. God in 2.17 says, you shall not eat of this tree. Well, Eve says in 3 verse 3, you shall neither eat of it or touch it, the tree. Okay, God said nothing about being able to touch the tree. Touching the tree would have been fine. See, but Eve is starting to go down this path of, you know what? God is holding out on me and he's really restrictive. And then thirdly, she downplays the consequences of the sin. God in 2.17 says, if you do this, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And then in 3 verse 3, Eve lessens it and says, oh, if you eat of this tree, uh, lest I die, lest you die. See, God's holding out on me, but he's actually not that serious about the consequences. God goes from benevolent in Eve's mind to malevolent. And the devil sniffs that out, picks up on that right away and drives it home. And isn't that the devil? He picks up on our doubts. He listens very carefully, picks up on our doubts and our distrust and just jabs it in even further. Verse four, you won't surely die. Verse five, God wants to withhold his best from you. The devil loves doing this, right? Picking up where our doubts and unbelief start. And, and he just tempts us further to where we actually believe these things are true about God, that God is not trustworthy, that he is withholding things from us. And it's deceit. And deceit is so scary because when you are deceived, you're not just believing a lie. You are sold on the fact that that lie is true. And the devil continues. The devil says, hey, did God actually say? And then he's like, God is holding out on you. And then by verse five, he's saying, you know what, Eve? You can be God. And this is, this is what everyone thinks they want. They want to be God. They want the power. They want the control. They want knowledge. The problem is we aren't God and Eve isn't God. And he will still continue to be God even if she eats of this fruit. Nothing is going to change regarding who God is. He's still in control. He still knows what is best and what is good, and we do not. So the devil says, did God actually say, God is holding out on you, and you know what, Eve, you can be God. I mean, the devil is good at what he does with this temptation. Now, I love in Luke 4, here's, here's something you can try this week. If you're looking for a spot to delve into the Bible, look at Luke chapter 4, 1 two, through 12. It's Jesus's temptation of the devil. And, and we actually see the same things. I want you to try to find those things this week in the scripture uh, where, where you see the devil going to Jesus. Did God actually say, God is holding out on you. You can be God. Look for that. The difference is Jesus didn't give in, right? And, and Eve did, which we're about to see. But this sort of temptation that the devil is using, I, I call level one temptation. This is, this is distrust, okay? This is seeds of temptation. Once you distrust God, sin itself looks even more appealing and more attractive. And so we see that in the beginning of verse six. This is temptation from herself now, from Eve, from within herself. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Okay, this, is, this is, has to do with the senses now, okay? It, she, she says, hey, this, this fruit, it tastes good. Physical, okay? Look, this fruit is gonna taste amazing. And 1 John 2, 16, you know, people haven't changed from Adam and Eve. 1 John, John says, hey, calls it the desires of the flesh. That's this. It tastes good physically, the desires of the flesh. NLT calls it the craving for physical pleasure. This is going to satisfy me and make me feel incredible, or at least that's what we're led to believe. So it, it tastes good, and then it looks good. There's an emotional appeal here that Eve has going on inside of her. And 1 John 2.16, again, calls this the desires of the eyes. It's emotional. NLT says it's a craving for everything we see. It's, it's, it's like this idea of like, wow, I can't take my eyes off of that. It, it reminds me of the movie, The Bug's Life, right? If, you've seen, if you haven't seen that, if you have Disney+, Plus, great opportunity, go check it out. But there's this scene where I think one of the bugs' name is Harry. Okay, it's a, it's a real quick scene. You'll miss it if you blink. But um, he's going towards this light that's actually a bug zapper light. And he's like, oh, the light. And his buddy's like, don't do it, Harry. Don't do it, Harry. And then he does it. Zap, he's dead. Um, good times. You'd have to be there, I guess. You, you got to watch it. But um, anyway, this is what's happening to Eve. This fruit just looks really good. And she just can't. She, I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. And she's just drawn to it. And that's what temptation looks like for us. It looks good. It's the, this emotional appeal. And then lastly, she says, it's going to make me wise. It's going to make me wise. This is intellectual going on. This is an intellectual temptation. First John 2, 16, again, calls us the pride of life. Or other versions say pride in our possessions. Essentially saying, hey, this is going to make me smarter. This is going to make me a better person. I need to get in on this. What am I missing out on? Now, all of these are actually great desires, Okay. Hear me well. All of these are God-given desires. We are designed to be fulfilled physically and emotionally and intellectually. The problem is not the desires. It's the object of the desires. See, God's created good, loving boundaries. He created them for Adam and Eve, and he's created them for us. And when we look to things outside of those boundaries that we see in his word and what he has said, it's sin. And sin always over-promises and under-delivers. It always over-promises and under-delivers. So level one temptation we saw from the devil, which, which, by the way, doesn't just come from the devil. It can come from ourselves, from, from other people, from things in the world. Okay, but this level one temptation is distrust God. These seeds, are, did God actually say, can he really be trusted? You can be God. That is distrust. When that's happening, we need to look to cut that out. And then level two temptation here is the senses. It's the shiny thing. It's the light, okay? What great help and strategy for us. Think about it. Our mission statement as a church is to help the next generation know and obey Jesus. We want to help you obey Jesus. Obeying Jesus is hard. It is difficult. So we need to pay attention to our inner dialogue going on inside of ourselves. And I'm sure there's a lot of that going on as a lot of you are kind of cooped up right now. And we need, we need to pay attention to that inner dialogue. 
and cut it off at that level one distrust temptation. When we hear things like this, did God actually say that? When we hear that in our heads, when we hear things like God, God is holding out on me or I can be God. We need to, we need to grab onto that and, and cut that off. Grab people around us. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this distrust of God today. I need you to pray for me. I need some help. Coming to God himself. God, I'm, I'm tempted to distrust you today, leading to sin. Help me trust you here today. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can come in and help you do that. And then also we need to test each shiny little thing that's set in front of us. Okay, if, if something looks like it tastes good, you know, this physical temptation or, or looks good and emotional or, or is going to make me wise, intellectual, you need to ask, is this within God's good, loving boundaries? And if it's not, run far away. If you don't, there'll be consequences just like there was for Eve. So let's look at those consequences. Let's look at the sin itself. Verse Six, the, the, the last part, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, I want to point out that Adam and Eve here had kind of two different types of sin going on. Eve's was active. She ate the fruit that she knew God didn't want her to eat. She deliberately disobeyed God. Adam, on the other hand, passively sinned. Okay, it's, all it says about Adam here is that he was with her. Talk about passivity at its finest. He just sits back, watches the whole thing with the, with the devil, and then goes, yeah, sure, and eats a bite. This has been the temptation of men ever since to this day. One of my favorite definitions of biblical manhood includes rejecting passivity. Reject passivity. Men, you and I, let's not be like Adam who just sat back and let sin happen and just watched other people, Eve, crumble around her and then just join in. No, let's get off the couch. Let's say something in love, with tenderness. Let's get off the couch. Let's help other people obey Jesus and not just go along with things. But here's what's true about this. Both Eve's active sin and Adam's passive sin are equally sinful and disobedient. And so they have consequences. And we'll get to those in a second, but I want to talk about the effects of this sin. Okay, they thought it was going to do something incredible for them. But as I said earlier, and as we've experienced in our own lives, sin overpromises and under delivers. So in verse seven, we see one of the effects is shame. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See what Adam and Eve thought would produce security actually brought massive insecurity into their very core, into their very identity of who they are, of who God beautifully made them to be in his image. They, they now are insecure, and, and, and that's us. We humans, you and I have struggled with this ever since, with this insecurity, with this shame in who we are, our identity, and who God has beautifully made us to be in his image. Shame is the first effect. Verse eight, we see the next effect is hiding. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What they thought would produce better relationships actually produced hiding from the best relationship possible. They walked with God. Did you catch that? God came to walk with them in the cool of the day, okay? And, and now they gave that up and they're hiding from that. that. That would be a dream come true. I don't know about you. I've never physically walked with God on this earth. I would love that. And someday I will get to do that in the new heaven, new earth. It'll be beautiful. But I've never done that. They got to do that. That was just everyday life. And they threw it away. And now they're hiding from the very one they need. And that not that us today? Hasn't that been people for eternity or, or, or since this moment until now? To this day, we struggle with, with being scared and being ashamed and, and, and running from and hiding from relationships, right? And especially from the most important relationship, God, who's actually the only one we need. The next effect we see is blame. Verse nine, but the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, there's the shame and the hiding again. Verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Did you hear the blame? Uh, she made me do it, right? She made me do it. She, he blames Eve. And this goes against another part of this definition of biblical manhood I like. First part is reject passivity. The next part is to accept responsibility. Talk about not accepting responsibility. He blames his wife. He blames his helper. And we're all prone to this though, aren't we? Shifting blame. They did it. They did it. Not just men, women, all of us are prone to this. And we see that. Eve does it. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The devil made me do it. Blame, blame, blame. It's like, it's like siblings, right? If you've had siblings or uh, have kids of your own, multiple kids of your own, you've seen this. Maybe if you even haven't, you've, you've watched this with other people's kids, right? Uh, they, they, they get caught and they're like, um, he made me do it, Right? She made me do it. It's their fault. Blame, blame, blame. It's instinctive inside of us now as a result of sin. Shame, hiding, and blame. And now we get to the consequences because sin has consequences. The devil's consequences are first. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. The punishment really fits the crime here for the devil, okay? He, he was described in verse 1 as crafty. Now he is called cursed by God. It goes from crafty to cursed. And then it says, dust you shall eat. Think about it. He tempted Eve to eat something, right? So now... He just eats dust. Literally, another one bites the dust, okay? And it's humiliating. This is, 
This is talking about humiliation, both for snakes physically to this very day. Saw one the other day. Yep, still crawling on the ground. And, but spiritually for the devil as well. He is not defeated. He's certainly very active, but his doom is sure. And he will eat dust for good one day. And notice that for the devil, his consequences are only condemnation and curse. There is no good news for the devil here. There's no opportunity to explain himself. He talks, he has a conversation with Adam and with Eve. No conversation here. Why? Because the devil is pure evil because he is not an image bearer of God. So he does, he just gets cursed. Now Eve's consequences. Let's look at verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Eve's first consequence is this, multiplied pain in childbirth. Now, I want to tread lightly here. I've been told that having a child is an indescribable pain. I'm just going to leave that there. Now, unlike the serpent, though, blessing comes from this pain, though. Okay? Devil gets no blessing. Eve and women, they get the blessing of a child. Now, again, I'm told this, okay? So don't be, be too harsh with me, okay? But I'm told that the joy of having the child in your arms outweighs the pain. Maybe just slightly. Maybe I'm wrong, too. So, um, but either way, it hints at a blessing, right? There's grace in this, even though there's consequences for sin. Now, now the second consequence for Eve is a little tricky. So it says, your desire shall be for your husband. Now we learn from Genesis 4, 7, it says, sin's desire is for you. It's talking about Cain and Abel. Sin's desire is for you. Now, when you see in the Bible, the same word used uh, within the same section, you know, this is the next chapter, then you can be pretty confident. It, they're talking about, they're using that word in the same way. So we can, we can be pretty confident here that this is talking about not a good thing that your desire shall be for your husband, but this is a desire to rule over your husband. And you're, you're thinking like, what? What are you saying? Well, I think the ESV study Bible does a beautiful job of explaining this. So I'll just let them do it. They say one, Eve will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in marriage. But two, Adam will also abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve. Thus, one of the most tragic results of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God is an ongoing damaging conflict between husband and wife in marriage, driven by the sinful behavior of both in rebellion against their respective God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage. The consequence here is that God's beautiful roles for men and women in marriage before sin even entered the scene are now in tension and in conflict. Men and women who have equal value as image bearers, equal worth as image bearers of God, have different beautiful roles that God gave them even before the fall. 
But the consequence of sin here is that Eve, women, clamor sometimes for leadership that wasn't assigned to them. And men, Adam, sometimes abuse leadership that was assigned to them. And both of those are an assault on God's beautiful design for marriage. The consequence is that God's beautiful roles for men and women, that complement each other, that work out fantastic without sin, are now in tension and in conflict. And we have to labor to live in that beautiful design. Now, Adam's consequences, we read in verse 17 through 19. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust. And to the dust, you shall return. Adam's consequence is a constant struggle with the very ground, the very dust that he was created from. He has to work hard just to be able to eat. And think about that. That's a fitting punishment because he ate what he was told not to eat. Now he has to work really hard just to be able to eat. Now let's look at Adam and Eve's consequences that they get from God together. Verse 22 to 24, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, verse 22, eternal life is lost because of their sin. Look at, notice at the end of verse 22, it's an incomplete sentence. God just kind of trails off at live forever. And here's why. God is hinting at the fact that it is incomplete. The story is not over. There will be grace, but paradise is lost for then, for now. Verse 23, paradise lost. They went from maintaining a garden, a beautiful garden that God gave to them. Now they're gonna have to start all over again and start their garden from scratch. That will never compare to the one they were just in. And verse 24, relationship with God has now gone from intimate to shattered. It says that God drove them out of the garden. Drove them out of the garden. This relationship is shattered and torn because of sin. Verse 24, death is the consequence, as promised. There's no hope of eternal life for them. Do you want to know why our world is so full of bad news right now? One word, sin. But not just Adam's sin, not just Eve's sin, my sin, our sin, your sin. You know, I, I, I don't blame God for all of this bad news that's going on. You know who I blame? Me. Us. I blame our sin. This bad news explains all our current bad news. 
sickness, disease, cancer, coronavirus, all a result of sin. Strained and broken relationships, all of them a result of sin. Even the bad news that we received this week as a church, even the bad, any bad news we will ever receive at Stonebridge Church, all a result of sin. And I blame sin. I blame me, not God. God is incredibly benevolent. We are the ones who are malevolent. But God didn't leave us here without hope. God did not leave us dead in our sins. There is good news, even hinted at in Genesis 3. Notice I, kept, I, I skipped a couple of verses, so look at this. The good news is found in the clothing God gives them in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. See, God, out of his loving kindness and grace, properly clothed Adam and Eve with clothes that they, they couldn't come up with themselves at the cost of the blood of animals. The good news is that God, out of his loving kindness and grace, properly clothes us who believe in Jesus with the clothes of Jesus' perfect sinless record that we can never earn or produce with our own effort at the cost of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And secondly, the good news is that the snake crusher has come. Verse 15, I will put enmity. This is talking about the devil and Eve. I will put enmity between you, the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. What does that mean? Well, sometimes children's books explain things better than anything else could. Now, I really like this one. This is called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden by Kevin DeYoung. I like this one because it's so colorful, as you can see, but the, the words are fantastic too. But let me explain this. The Snake Crusher, verse 315, what does this mean? He says, but before they left the garden, God made a promise. He promised that the evil serpent, the devil, would always be at war with Eve and her children. Now, that doesn't sound like a very nice promise that, that bad guys and good guys would fight all the time. Who wants to be in a war that never ends? But here's where the good part of the promise comes in. God promised that one of Eve's children would someday, eventually, sooner or later, crush the head of that nasty snake. Nobody knew when or how, but she would have a child to put things right. And that snake-crushing child was Jesus. Jesus crushed the head of sin and death and the devil at the cross. And one day he's going to throw that snake for all eternity into the fire. The good news for us today with all of this bad news is that Jesus has the victory and the final word over all bad news. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ who did what we couldn't and clothed us with his righteousness by dying for us, by crushing the head of the serpent, Satan, 
So God, I pray that we would live in that power this week that crushed the serpent. Live in that kind of power as we look to crush sin in our lives and cut it off at its head before it even begins. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.